Well, if you've watched the national news at all, you've seen a report that has surfaced a couple of years ago and then been tracked across the uh, news wires for uh, periods of time across the last about two and a half years now about a lady named Sandra Harold, 70 years old. Her only daughter died in a car accident a few years ago, and then her husband died. She was lonely. She needed social interaction. And so she poured all of her love, all of her attention, all of her affection in a 200-pound chimpanzee named Travis. He had the full reign of the house for the last 14 years. He and Sandra ate together. They played together. They visited together. They even slept together. Each evening she shared with him and he brushed her long hair. She listened to, He listened to all of her concerns and he really understood her. Travis was the closest thing to a life companion that Sandra could possibly have. Travis was famous. You've probably seen him on television ads. He made several ads for Coca-Cola and Old Navy. He hobnobbed with several television personalities, and they all loved him. Everybody loved Travis because they said he was almost human. That's what Sandra thought. And then there was a day just a couple of years ago when Sandra Harold and her friend Charla Nash went to a casino in Connecticut on Valentine's Day. Charla picked up a red Elmo doll for Travis. She just knew he'd love it. They went home, and the next day Charla came over to Sandra's house to give Travis his new toy. She drove up to Sandra's house in a different car. She had her hair done up in a different way. She got out of this different car with her hair done up in a different way, and she began shaking this doll in Travis's face. Who was this stranger coming at her with this crazy red thing? And he went postal. Then something deep inside of him took control of his actions, and without thinking, he went into an attack mode. That would be the same instinctive behavior that directs a chimpanzee's conduct in the jungle. He lunged at Sharla and attacked her. Well, Sandra immediately called 911 and began to try to pull him off of her friend. She was ineffective, and when the police arrived... They had to put him down. She was life flighted to Ohio, was in and out of the hospital for two years, and as I said, was on the news just this past week because the doctors have just completed the very first successful face, the entire full face transplant surgery in this country. It's an amazing story. When the news item hit the airwaves, the citizens of Stamford, Connecticut, began to tell 
a story about Travis that was a different story than what Sandra had told. A story about Travis acting more like a chimp than a human. In fact, a Humane Society worker said that she had actually gone to the door and had warned Sandra that this was 200 pounds of danger and that if provoked, he had the strength of 10 football players. And she warned, if his jungle nature kicks in, you're in a lot of danger. And so is anybody within his reach. Sandra heard every single word of that Humane Society worker's speech. However, she wasn't worried because she thought she could control Travis's jungle nature. After all, he was a great life partner. She'd just have to learn to live with his occasional animal-like outburst. And so, she made peace between the tension of his sweet, brush-your-hair personality and his instinctive, jungle-like attack mode. The reason I took the time to tell that story this morning is because I've learned that there are people who get up on Sunday morning and get dressed and come to church and stand and sing courses who have made that same peace. Like Sandra Harold of Stamford, Connecticut. They know what humanity's lower nature is capable of. They know what can happen when that carnal nature is provoked. They know about that little voice inside that says, Go ahead and do it. Nobody's watching. Nobody's going to find out. Nobody knows about your computer internet history. You're in another town. Nobody's going to see. Nobody's ever going to find out. Nobody knows about your prescription drugs. Nobody needs to know about your addictions. Oh, go ahead. You know you want to do it. What are you waiting for? Yes. We know what humanity's lower nature is capable of. And yet, like Sandra Harold of Stanford, Connecticut... We've made peace with it. People have warned us. We're playing with danger. But we know what we're doing. 
We can take control. We have to control it. What other option do we have? Today's thought is a very simple one, but it's vitally important. It holds the key to what I'm talking about all this weekend about holiness. Because it has to do with God's transforming power. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to write your answer on a piece of paper and pass it to your friend or pass it to the end of the row. Well, you're just answering your head, but I want you to be brutally honest. Do you think you're sometimes a little bit like Travis? Do you think that you have a nature buried deep inside that surprises, well, sometimes even you? Because you've tasted of sin, do you think you're hopelessly programmed to repeat those same mistakes over and over again for as long as you live? Are you always going to choose to preference your ways over God's ways? I've asked several questions. Let me put them all together and ask it one way. Do you think that your old nature inside of you is greater than God's healing power to change you? I've asked that question in Nazarene churches and in holiness churches from coast to coast. And I've had many laymen after the service come up to me and say, I want to give you my answer, preacher, but I don't want you to tell the pastor what I really think. I just want to tell you, but I I just want to get this off my chest. I want to tell you what I really think. And I said, okay, what do you really think? From my personal experience, I'd have to say, the way it works in my life, yeah, I think my old nature, down deep inside of me, when push comes to shove, it's really in charge. It's pushing me around. I'm doing what it pushes me in a corner to do. You see, I belong to Adam's race. I've been infected with a fallen nature. You see, preacher, I'm a sinner. I sin. I don't want to. But preacher, I've come to terms with the fact that sin is an unfortunate inevitability for me. Now, am I talking to folks from the Reformed tradition? No. I'm talking to Nazarenes. Coast to coast, I'm hearing this nowadays. I've just come to terms with the fact, preacher, that for me, sin is just an unfortunate inevitability. I wished it weren't that way. But let me just be brutally honest with you. 
That's the way it is. I gained a new insight about that a couple weeks ago. Went to Lowe's. Give me some grass seed to fill a few spots in my front yard. As I was going down the grass seed aisle, a gentleman from the store was working there and he said, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm looking for some good grass seed. I'd already decided I wanted fescue. And uh, bluegrass doesn't do well when it gets real hot. So I said what I wanted and he said, well, I've got some Pennington and we, it, it's really, really good fescue. It does well in this part of the country. I said, great. It had a gold seal on it, which let me know that it was top of the line Pennington and it was going to do really well. So I said, I'll take it. I was shocked at how much Pennington top of the line had gone up. I mean, it was over $2 a pound. So I was sure it was going to be really good stuff. So I got two bags of it, took it home, got my pocket knife out and started cutting the string along the top and opening it up. And as I, you know, for those of you that do grass seed, and you know that it has that little white tag. As I was cutting it open, I <coughs> cut that little white tag loose and I picked it up just to look at what it said. Now remember, this is Pennington. Top quality, premium. Gold seal. Are you with me? Cut the tag off, picked it up, read it, and it says this. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm reading straight off the tag to you, all right? 90% grass seed, 10% trash and weeds. With God as my witness, that's what that tag said. That apparently is not only a, an acceptable ratio within the grass seed industry, but Pennington can do that and still get a gold seal and sell, sell it for top dollar. Now let's transfer that to your life and see how it works. Okay? A student turns in a book report to his teacher and says, Now teacher, this book report is 90% mine. And 10%, I copied it word for word right off the internet. Is that going to fly? Probably not. You pull into the gas station and you say, I don't know what is wrong with this crazy shell gas of yours, but I, the last tank I got pinged so bad and it was really hard on my engine and it's, this, there's something wrong with your gas. And the, proprietor of the, of the Shell station says, well, I don't know what the problem is because, I mean, it was 90% gas and yeah, I did thin it out a little bit with about 10% water. Mom cooks a pot of soup and you say, boy, that was good soup, but it did have a bit of a whang to it. And she says, well, I don't know what it was, but... I used 90% tap water, and I did finish it out with a little bit of dishwater. <laughs> Dad's talking to the IRS about his tax return. Been audited. And he said, well, this return is 90% true and 10% pure fabrication. I just made up about 10% of it. Or, and most of you, a few of you know her, but most of you don't know my wife. 
So maybe this won't relate at all, but I tell my wife, I've been married to Sue for 37 years, and I say, honey, I'm so proud of the fact, I just want you to know, for the last 37 years, I have been faithful to you 90% of the time. (laughs) How do you think that's going to fly? I can guarantee you I'm going to have a very large imprint of a skillet on my head right here. And I will probably not be speaking very plainly for quite some time. You see, 10% trash and weeds may be acceptable in the grass seed industry, but it's not acceptable as a ratio for the toleration of sin. And that's what I mean when I say we better be careful about the way we get soft on sin. And all too often, when I talk to Christians these days, even in the Church of the Nazarene, I am hearing them all too often open their Bibles and turn to the book of Romans and start quoting to me out of chapter 7 like that is some acceptable excuse. Well, I don't understand myself at all, they say. They're quoting Paul. They say, I'm just like Paul. I really don't want to do, or I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and I'm bad. Bad conscience shows me that I agree that the law is good. I can't help myself because it's sin inside of me that makes me do these evil things. And I know I'm rotten through and through so far as my old nature is concerned. And no matter which way I turn, I can't help myself to do right. I want to do it, but I can't. And when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. For if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not really the thing doing the sin within me doing it. And they say to me, well, yeah, see, that's me. I'm just like Paul. Well, see, Paul is not giving his personal testimony here. The guy who's writing the book of Romans is not saying, this is the way I'm living this week. Paul is talking about the way it was in his old life before he came to Christ when he was trying to live the Old Testament law like we talked about yesterday morning by his own strength and power and he couldn't do it. He's writing in the historical present about the way it was before he came to Christ. See, the people who try to use this as a personal testimony haven't read the rest of the chapter. See, they're stopping right there conveniently And they're not going on to chapter 8. Paul, you have to read the rest of the chapter and then go into chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Paul's personal testimony is in chapter 8. We'll get to that in a minute. So I would say that the people who are quoting this passage need to move out of chapter 7 and into chapter 8. See, when I talk about the fallen nature and addictions and sin, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. You lived in the world long enough. You know about that. You know we're infected by sin. You know we've tasted forbidden fruit. You know about carnal knowledge. You also know that God can forgive that. That's the good news of the gospel. However, we in the holiness tradition, we believe that God can do more than just 
forgive sins. We believe that He can change you at the very depths of your being. That He can reorient yourself. The holiness good news for the day is that more than just forgiveness, He can change you at the very depths of your being. He can break the cycle of sin. He can reorient your nature. He can break that cycle that entangles you. He can put your relationship back like it was, like it should be, like you want it to be with God. That's the radical optimism of God's grace. That's what holiness is all about. That relationship that I talked about Friday night and Saturday morning and Saturday night, the transformation by God's grace is not what we do, but what God does through us in transforming us. That's exactly what Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, was talking about in Luke chapter 1. We don't have time to read the whole passage, but look at it sometime. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. I want to call our attention specifically to verses 74 and 75. When he talks about the ministry of Jesus... He says, when the Messiah comes, and he talks a great deal, praise be to the God of Israel who has come to his people to redeem them. And he goes on about, talks about this salvation that Jesus will bring. And then he says in verse 74, when he comes, he will come to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Notice, holiness... And right living appear together as God's goal for us with Christ's coming. Holiness changes our heart. Right living changes the way we do our conduct every day. Now when does this happen? Is it at the end of our life? Is it just once in a while? Is it just on Sundays? Is it on good days? No, it's all our days. Right here, right now, every day. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus came to forgive, yes. That's the first part of the gospel message. But we also believe, not only does he come to forgive us of all the acts of sin, but he also comes to change that nature inside of us, that Travis nature inside of us that causes us to want to do our own thing In the first place, that's sin problem number two. That pride thing, that Frank Sinatra thing that says, I did it my way. I have a friend who um, oftentimes plays the organ down at the local mortuary for funeral services. And one day uh, she was down there getting ready to play play for a funeral service and she just happened to pick up the Mortician's Journal, and I don't know if you know this or not, but they do the top ten list of the top ten songs that are performed at funerals. You know what the number one song sung in America today at funerals? Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. That is a commentary on our attitude about the way we live our lives in this country. I did it my way. 
That's my sermon. That's our problem. I'm going to live life on my terms. I'm going to do it my way. And that is sin problem number two. It's that self-sovereignty issue that says, I'm going to have it on my terms and I'm going to do it my way just like I want it to be. And that is the Romans 7 problem that we showed you a minute ago. And I'm here to say it can be different. And let me illustrate that difference this way. It's the difference between a car being road legal and restored. Here's a picture of a car that's road legal. Road legal is a car that has four wheels, a horn, a head, headlights, turn signals, taillights, and brakes. It can be full of dents, can be rusted, it can be duct taped together, it can be painful to look at, but you can drive it down the road and not get a ticket. Road legal. Here's a car, actually it's the same car, on the other hand, that has been restored. Knock out the dents, restore the engine, reupholster the seats, give it 22 coats of paint, polish it out, and now it's been transformed into something new. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the difference among Christians in being forgiven and being transformed. You see, you can be forgiven of your past sins and then you can just stay in that same old cycle of just coming back to church every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday and just keep repenting and keep repenting and just keep repenting and just keep repenting of the same old, same old, same old, same old. Or, you can be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, which breaks that cycle and changes you in your inner nature by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can be transformed into a new creature and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And that is the gospel of full salvation. And that is what the message of holiness is all about. It's not what we do. It's what the Holy Spirit does within us. And that is what Paul is talking about as we move from chapter 7 of Romans into chapter 8. He says, so now there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We're going to talk more about that transformation and just exactly how that happens tonight. But what I want to say this morning is... The good news of the gospel message for you today is you do not have to live 
in Romans 7. And you do not have to live like Travis the chimpanzee. Oh yeah, you once were like that. But you don't have to live like that anymore. The good news of the Gospel message and the message of full salvation is that God's transforming grace is available to transform you as well. That is what holiness is all about. As we close our service this morning, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Jesus always called for a public response in his ministry. That's when we have these altars. We oftentimes use the front of the church for a public declaration. We had a wedding here just yesterday. We often do baby dedications at the front of the sanctuary. We have funerals at the front of the church. We had public prayer here this morning. And we oftentimes use the front of the church to declare our intention to either accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior or to publicly consecrate ourselves to Him, be filled with the Spirit. And so for more than 200 years now in the Christian church, we have been inviting people to come and to unburden their hearts. So I continue in that tradition and say, if you have a spiritual need, if anything I've said this morning has prompted the Holy Spirit to invite you, you're welcome to come and to unburden your heart and to allow Him to meet that need. Maybe you've decided that you're tired of dealing with that carnal nature. Maybe you're afraid of what that inner nature might do, just like what Travis did that day. Maybe you've decided that you're just tired of the struggle. The struggle can end today. Or maybe you have fresh victory and you want to dedicate yourself fully and completely to the Lord's work, consecrating yourself totally, like was testified this morning, Everything you have, everything you are, fill in the blank, everything you ever are going to be is His for His service. Giving it to Him, laying your all on the altar. This is a good time to do that as well. I told the crowd uh, in the first service, I learned something about altars just a couple of weeks ago by my local Dodge dealer. I had done my homework... It was time to get my wife a new vehicle and uh, had been to all the dealers in town and just was still shopping around and looking for a vehicle. Had all the papers out and written down the prices and the features and all these things. And the Dodge salesman said, well, I see you've done your homework. I said, well, I have. He said, well, can you think of a reason why... You wouldn't want that car sitting right there. I said, no, I can't think of a reason. He said, well, I think you need to make a decision today. I said, well, I'm not ready to make a decision today. He said, well, I'm calling for one right now. I mean, he, he evangelized me right then and there for that Dodge. 
I said, well, I've still got a payment to make on the car we're driving. He said, I'll make that payment for you. I said, well, I need to do this. He said, no, no, we don't know, huh? You need to decide right here, right now. We're calling for a decision. And I want you to know, before he got through with me, I had the keys to that car in my pocket. I mean, he, he evangelized me. And I thought to myself, you know what? When you stop and think about it, when we're talking about the best decision you'll ever make in your life, it's not about a dodge. It's about Jesus. You know, why on earth would you hold back on making the best decision of your life? So there is no reason in the world, no, no reason in the world why you wouldn't decide to follow this Jesus who has our best interest in mind. So we're going to stand together. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and play. And as they come, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and you want to either end the struggle or give yourself completely, totally to Him, this is a good place to pray and this is a good time to pray. You're welcome to come. Lord, as we come to the end of this service, we're so thankful for the incredible plan that you have provided for us. We've done such a terrible job of getting ourselves in a mess. We've used our free will so often, so many ways. And as a result of that, have gotten away from you. And yet, you have so lovingly reached out to us, reached down and revealed yourself to us and want to bring us back. And so, Lord, as we come to the conclusion of this service, we think about that story of that animal and what a terrible thing that was. And we say, oh, isn't it awful? And yet we know people do worse things than that. And we say, oh, could that ever happen to me? Yes, it could. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us, help us to make the best decision of our life today to give ourselves totally and completely to you. To you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.